0: Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the word of God today.
1: Believing in you. That's good. It's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think what we, we get this idea that um, that we have to make the first move that it's all about the faith that we have in God or they, it's like this, I need to muster up the right kind of belief or the right kind of effort, or um, I need to know the right things or have the right theological mindset, or um, I need to subscribe to this beliefs page or this doctrinal statement before I can come to God. And I, I think what I see here is that it's not so much of what I do, it's what God has done. So it's not so much of my belief in God, it's about God's belief in me. God always makes the first move.
0: Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that idea of, I have to make the first move comes from?
1: I'm not sure. I think that there's a lot of different things that make us uh, believe that we're not, that we're not worthy to receive God's love. or that we have to work our way into God's good standing, or we have to do certain things in order to belong. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the way that we were raised, or um, our families of origin. Um, you know, somebody does something really good for you because they love you and they're kind, and they just they just want to do good for you. And somehow there's this idea that that uh, that I have to do something back that is just as wonderful as they've done to me or, um, or I, I don't deserve what they've done, so I better do something even more. So that way I feel like I will finally deserve what they've done. Uh, there's like this deserving mentality that I think a lot of people live into.
0: I think um, I think part of the darkness that exists in our world, um, and I can obviously only speak to the Western sort of mindset, right. um, is the darkness of, of ind- being independent. Mm. And so it's the, the idea that like, um, you talked about making the first move and making yeah. the first move puts, puts, puts it on us. And it's like, and that I think is, is a dark, a darker way of looking at, uh, of the world because we have to, um, it, it means that we have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's I think, on our, it's and our responsibility. I, and I think part of what John is getting at and part of what it means to live in the light is, 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 is recognizing it's that aha moment where you know God has, God has made the first, God has not made the first move. God just has moved mm. and, and it compels, it's like so powerful and palpable mm-hmm. that it compels you to, to sort of alter or change or see things in a different way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: um, you know, I don't know if I've ever really equated the word in being independent with darkness, but but it resonates mm-hmm. um, because part of the way we, I I believe we are created in the image of God is that we are sort of co-partners with God. We yeah. are walking with God together. I mean, walk, we are, um, you know, sort of sharing life with God. When God invites us into the kingdom, he's inviting us into God's kingdom to do the work in, uh, of, of, with God.
1: That's right. That's right. And I think that there's uh, there's a lot of, of language within that, where um, where it's it's seeking God in in the places that um, that we're meant to be living into, uh, but oftentimes in that sense of independence or that place of believing that we don't need God or that we're fine on our own, um, that's usually when we can easily walk away or refuse to see the light that has come into the darkness. I mean, and the language that is used in this is that it says. Um, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So it, 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 oh, and right before that, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It's like this, um, it's, a, it's almost like this decision that people have to make to not see this God-soaked world that we live in. It, it, takes, a, it takes like a, a choice of independence to step away. And something that we were that we were looking at today, earlier today, was almost like a, its own sort of you know sto- story that goes along with this sort of story. I think in a lot of ways is the story of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. And it, most of you know the story of the prodigal son. There's like the dad and the two boys, and they're all living in this really happy life. And it's 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 a parable. So of course it didn't quite happen like this. But anytime that Jesus tells parables, there's meaning behind the meaning. There's like, there's like depth behind the depth. And and so you see this story where this, there's this older brother and younger brother and they're living with their father and their father is wealthy. Their father has all this accessibility to every resource you could possibly ever imagine. And the younger son in that culture would have received the resources or the abundance of resources, uh, the inheritance of it once his father died. And he demands the inheritance while his father is still living, which is actually saying, basically, dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you'd die now so I could get what I want, because I don't want to be dependent on you any longer. I want to do my own thing. I want to live a life independent from you. And his father gives into the darkness that his son is seeking. His father allows him to go and live a life that is apart from the father. He allows his son to walk away and he gives his son this money and the son like, you know, blows it all on coke and hookers or whatever he does in Vegas. (laughs) It's not really in the story, but it does say that he blows his money. He finds himself in this place of great need. He has absolutely no friends, no community, nobody around him to love him or care for him. And he finds himself Uh, eating the slop in a pig pen, which also has significant meaning for first century Palestinian Jews. And so there's this sense of complete depletion. And he's starving to death. And he thinks, if I just go home, if I just get out of this space that I'm in and claim dependence once again, Maybe my father obviously would not receive me as his own, but maybe my father will receive me as one of his hired servants. Maybe I would at least have enough food to survive. And he goes.
0: So I think the father, I didn't want to interrupt you, but did you have more?
1: Well, I was just going to say, like, the way that the story ends is that he ends up on this road walking towards his father. And when he's a mile off, which... His father—I don't know how old the dude was—but he must have like really good eyesight because it says it from a mile off. He sees his son, his son that is filthy and disgusting and full of of garbage and very hungry or whatever, but looking looking terrible, may not may not even be recognizable. But he sees his son from a mile off, and the father lifts up his robes kicks off his sandals and runs full speed ahead to meet his son and then he wraps his arms around his son and he gives his son his clothes that are that are beautiful and, and ornate and he gives his son his signet ring and he says, "Son, I am just so glad you're back I'm so glad you're home and his son's like, no no I'm so sorry I sinned against you and I and I did this and he's like no no you you were dead and now you're alive." you were gone and now you're here. I'm just so happy you're here. Let's throw a party. So,
0: so I think, so that's good. I And I think that's really, um, really, a really well put uh, description of the story. And, and something I'd like to add to it is, so I think when the father from the, in the very beginning, and I haven't worked all this out in my head, so we're going to work it out. <laughs> Together. Um, some of the things come when we're when you're teaching, um, uh, yeah. just how it works, and so I think the when the father decides that the son, the old younger son, can go, I think the father knows something that the son doesn't know, mm. and I think that's an important part of the story because this the, the father knows that the son, um, the father knows that he has given the son this sort of life of love and, um. Mm and belonging and it's his origin. It's his home. Yeah. And I think the father believes that the son actually could go and, and the possibility of him returning is probably pretty high because he knows that's where the son belongs. And so when the son leaves and he, and he, he squanders and sure he come, maybe comes back for selfish reasons initially. Um, it's still, the father recognizing like, I've put all this, all that I have in the son already. And so mm-hmm. he can leave. And then the son can trust, I'm sorry, the father can trust that the son can leave.
1: Mm-hmm. He
0: doesn't feel the need that, the, the father doesn't feel the need to have to like somehow convince him to be right. back, to, to stay. It wasn't like he he bribed him, you know. No. Like, well, here, just, I'll give you more, you know, you yeah. can, whatever. He just lets him go because... There's a level of certainty and belief that the father has in the son. um, And the son has like sort of this grounding or this root that he does belong back to that household. Mm. Um, And and I kind of see it as a story of origin. Mm. Um, I mean, the same way John sort of he's writing some story of origin here, you know, in the beginning was the word. And I think it's just that it's again, it's that subtle provocative and profound reminder that like you belong Mm. and it's you know and and of course the this is that's how the story goes and he comes back i don't know i don't know if the father actually knew the son would come back but i think he trusted enough that if he went off um there was still that deep sense of belonging that probably existed there
1: yeah yeah like like the father knew all that the world offered The father knew what the world would give to his son. And he knew that what the world offered was nothing compared to what the father offered. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I know that (coughs) when I have walked away, when I have sought the world, when I have wanted to leave my faith behind for whatever it was that I was seeking in my past, it was not satisfying like it was being with Christ. No matter what I did, no matter how many things that I sought after, no matter how many like experiences I tried to have or or meaning making other exp- meaning making places of, of my life, nothing was as satisfying as being with God.
0: Think about I think about our um, our kids, mm-hmm. you know, and like we we have we have sort of instilled a certain amount of love in our kids that our kids know mm-hmm. that they belong here and we know and we trust that they can go off and do some things, but they're going to come, but, but they're going to return and they're going to have those experiences and those experiences are going to shape them, but they're mm-hmm. going to come back. And and I think it's kind of similar. Um, maybe it's not. Is it similar?
1: It can be. Sometimes there's, there's uh, decisions that we make that are toxic to our families. And so there's something that we have to, you know, There's like a level of protection. The the fact of the matter is, though, is that we can use our own families as an example of what the father's love looks like. Because we have children and we can't imagine not loving them towards any horrible time or regardless. Like our love for them can never go away in our minds. The father's love for us never goes away. No matter how toxic or how damaging or how wrong we've lived our lives, the Father's love for us is so complete and so radical because it's always the love that comes first before we've ever made that move. God's love comes first.
0: And like our kids, they don't know what I know. Mm. Like, they don't, I mean, no matter how much I try to convey that, how much I love them, like, they just, they'll never fully know, like, but, they, but they're but they going to constantly experience that love deeper and deeper as we move along in life together Mm -hmm. and there's always a new layer that they can um they can experience and know even deeper Mm -hmm. and and, uh but they don't know everything i know and i think that's sort of like i mean i I can't i'm not trying to (laughs) equate myself with god but i think sometimes like god knows us so well that we don't know what god knows other than that which we experience along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. So the prodigal son, is that, that story is, is an origin story of sorts. And the way that it fits in, the way that we see it fitting into this story is that, is that we see that the world, that, that Jesus was in the world, the world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So he comes into this world, he comes into this home here, And instead of being received by the family, he is actually pushed out, he is not received, and he is eventually executed. And so the story of the prodigal son is that the son should have that same experience with the father. The son has left the father and has come back, and the father should be like, no, what you did was wrong, here's your punishment, here's the thing that you deserve, tit for tat. This is, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, And Jesus is like, he's like, you didn't receive me. You executed me, but I will forever receive you and love you. I will forever welcome you back. Come back. This is where you belong, and I love you. And so we see that Jesus and God is constantly meeting people where they are at, whether it's the prodigal son on the road and the father running towards him, or it is, you know, another story that we looked at this week was... uh, You mean like
0: Jesus showing up on earth?
1: Yeah, like Jesus showing (laughs) up is the story of Nicodemus which is in John 3 and Nicodemus is this teacher of the law he's this very educated person he knows everything he'll ever need to know or at least he thinks he does and it says uh, in verse 1 there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council it says he came to Jesus at night and said Rabbi we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him so he what I love about the story is right from the get-go, Jesus who is the light, Jesus who is the light that has shined into the darkness. It shows Jesus meeting Nicodemus where he is at. He's not expecting Nicodemus to come out into like the courtyard in the middle of the day so everybody can see. Nicodemus for whatever reason was, was uncertain about his uh, decision to meet with Jesus. He was curious enough to allow him to go meet with Jesus But he wasn't sure if he would be received by his community if they saw him with Jesus. And so he meets Jesus at night. And instead of Jesus being like, what? You're ashamed of me? I'm ashamed of you too then. Instead of Jesus responding to Nicodemus as Nicodemus responded to Jesus, Jesus met Nicodemus where he was at. In the night. Where he was comfortable. Because Jesus always meets us. In the spaces that we are in, and says, "I love you here. I receive you here. I accept you here. I I have great desire for you here. I
0: see you. I see you
1: here. And I don't think we're supposed to leave, or we're not supposed to stay in that one space forever. Like I I think that Jesus calls us to follow Him, and it does give a. it, It is a life that." requires us to make to move but god is the one that makes the first move and it's not about what we do next it's about receiving jesus now it's not about what tomorrow brings is that in this very moment in, in your filth in your in your uncertainty in your educational level in your family life, in your wishy-washy church, in your in your amazing theological understandings, in your greedy career, in your the ways that you've caused harm. In this space that you are in right now, Jesus meets you immediately because he loves you immediately. He, he may have come to this earth and we refused him and we did not receive him. And we missed him for some reason. We just didn't see that light. But Jesus keeps showing up and says, I see you. I see you. I see you. Do you have anything else to say? I was going to close this up here in a minute. Yep. Okay. Um, I wanted to read something that I read in my um, in a commentary this week because I think it shows us a little bit of the nature of God, the character of God. And it's a—it's uh, from this guy, he's a doctor, and it's from 1974 from a book he wrote, and he's writing about um, his experience as a surgeon. And it says, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted and palsy clownish, a tiny twig of the facial nerve the one of the muscles of her mouth has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her, ch- of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of her bed and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say, it will. It's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful of me, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I am so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers to show her that their kiss still works. I think this story has a lot to do with the nature of God. That God sometimes has to remove the sin from our lives and it might make us a little crooked. The things that have happened in our lives, the way that we spent all of our wealth like a prodigal son. And when we come home to Jesus, to God, there might need to be a little bit of removing of the past, a little shaking out, of the things that we have done. It might make us bent over a little bit, or maybe things aren't quite the same as they used to be. Mm. But it's not us who has to fix ourselves to meet God. It is God who twists God's self to accommodate us because God loves you so much.
0: He sees you.
1: And he sees you. Peace and grace to you all.
0: Peace and grace, church.
1: Happy Advent.